0: up those in darkness This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday. Tuesday. All day. It's Tuesday, September the 25th. And, uh, (laughs) yes, as we see in the news, yes, let us fly away every day. Yes, let us fly away to where the news does not depress us every day. I can't take it anymore. Hillary uh, Clinton called... Um, Cheney, Darth Vader. Uh, at least we are entertained. At least we are entertained by these uh, juveniles throwing pies in each other's faces over at Columbia University. Uh, oh, for some, for some grown-ups too. To what is it? Uh, to talk without basically fighting over their manhood. I, uh, as I say, I just can't take it any more. The uh, the thing to do is to go back, yes, to go back to the, the little things. What was it Voltaire said? Cultivate your garden. If change comes, it will come from the grassroots. It certainly won't come from, there's people that call themselves leaders. Uh, never mind. I got to the station today and I found a pile of things and I'm completely fragmented. Uh, <laughs> I do thank you for your letters. Uh, at the same time, I keep thinking, I wish you would send me a map to your context. Yes. Aha. I have not seen the movie Two Days in Paris. A number of people seem to think it is uh, something shocking. So I guess I'll have to go and check it out. Yes. Uh, two Days in Paris with that girl, Julie Delphi, you know. Uh, a mega ingenue. Never mind. Uh I want to... uh Ask Albert. Let's see. Albert Flynn DeSilver. Yes, dear. I'm sorry, Albert. Uh I do not remember the book you sent. If uh, you will just jog my memory. You haven't given me a return address. Well, now, folks, I I just cannot keep track of people who don't let me know where they're writing from. <laughs> Never mind. We don't have time for all these details. I... I know that everybody is uh kind of spinning hanging in uh I, I get the feeling everyone is in his or her own movie these days. We need to stop and define our terms back in the fifties. That was the rule. I remember an old high school teacher that I had. He used to sit around and try to explain the world to us back in in uh, the day. what was it uh World War Two. he tried to explain it to us. Um, I was so young in World War Two that I thought that axis, A-X-I-S, the axis were axes, you know, to chop with. I was only eight years old. Eight to 12 were my war years. Uh, I tried to watch the television series about World War Two, this Ken Burns show, and it made me so sick, I I gave up at some point, uh It's pretty tedious. It's pretty grim. Let me, let me give you a clue from, uh, the New Yorker review called In the Trenches by Nancy Franklin. She didn't like it. I'll be straight with you. Um, (laughs) I, I couldn't help remembering, yes, World War II. I was sitting in La Jolla down in Southern California. I remember I, I was beginning to figure things out, I was walking on the beach with my father, he was a, a commander in the Navy, and I found some used condoms on the beach, and I picked them up, I thought they were balloons, and my poor father flipped, and he was trying to explain life to me, you know, about how the sailors, you know, uh sailors were all alone or something, and I didn't have the vaguest notion what he was talking about. Uh, Anyway, uh, I remember the guys sitting around the fireplace. One of them had an accordion. Uh, later there was a guitar, but basically it was the guy with the accordion. And they sang all these corny songs. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> sad, sad, sad. And then of course they went to the South Pacific and many, many of them died. Uh, they were medics. They weren't combatants, but, uh, they were right there on the front lines. My father described it. He said that the inside of the hospital ships, one of his ships was blown up and said that the walls looked like they were dripping spaghetti. Uh, he was in his forties by then, by the time of the war, but, uh, it was a rough go. I remember my eighth birthday on December 5th, 1941, two days later was Pearl Harbor and then he left uh he left the house. We were in Tucson, Arizona, and he went to San Diego, opened the uh blood bank there. He said that the blood was segregated. There was black blood and white blood, you know. Anyway, mother moved us down to La Jolla to this beach cottage. It's well it was still there. In 1974, it was empty. The shutters were hanging loose and there was a few seagulls on the front porch. Uh, Very, very much, very much an old movie. Yes, let's see, 74 and snow. Okay, that's 33 years ago, so I'm sure that house is gone. Uh, Anyway, Ken Burns introduces the uh, Second World War he used a, a senator in away from hawaii the senator was a 17 year old boy when the japanese bombed pearl harbor and he describes helping with the wounded and a woman with her head blown off still clutching a baby that sort of thing when he was 17 maybe that's one reason why he grew up to uh, be a senator anyway i have this copy of The article, In the Trenches, by Nancy Franklin, and i scrawled on the top of it. Study history. Learn your place in time. And I thought about it, and I thought, it's always the same time. It's always the same place. You know, there's no place like Rome. I was watching the end of the fall of the Roman Empire the other night. Uh, Sophia Loren, yes. Uh Uh-huh. Who else was in that movie? Terrific picture, very static. Uh, Christopher Plummer, right, played Commodus, the wicked emperor. But anyway, it was about, uh, I think, the 3rd century A.D., and at the end of the movie, they're selling Rome to the highest bidder, literally uh, auctioning off the uh, the throne, the uh, role of emperor of Rome. I think we have a similar situation today. Uh, anyway, Nancy Franklin... Uh, has a, what I would call, uh, a young person's, I'll be, I'll try to be polite, a young person's view of World War II. She says that you have to work very hard and take yourself very seriously as the keeper of the keys to America to make a tedious documentary about the Second World War. <laughs> that is what Ken Burns and Lynn Novick have done. ...with this 15-hour series, The War. Now, I've watched uh, four and a half hours already. Uh, She says they've taken a subject that is inexhaustible... ...and made it merely exhausting. Scene by scene, interview by interview. The series doesn't bore... ...if you are of the school that believes... ...that everyone's experiences are at least somewhat interesting and that the experiences of those who went through the Second World War are more interesting than most. What is off-putting is Burns' approach to the material. By that, I don't mean what has come to be known over the years since his 1990 opus on the Civil War as the Ken Burns effect, the pan and zoom technique. Uh, Yes, oh dear. She says that he squeezes emotional juice, you know, from the uh, still lifes and uh, does his best to create uh, dread. What I objected to personally myself was the doomsday music right from the outset. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there's been a terrific promotional run up to this thing. It's in all the news magazines. I, I have a picture in my mind of all the world war veterans uh watching this thing, uh nostalgia drips from every uh ever scene i i guess uh I guess I'm sympathetic up to a point uh, they say that a thousand veterans are dying every day or every week something uh very soon they'll all be gone uh, most of them were about ten years older than I am. they would have been. Still teenagers, you know, uh, if I was eight, they were 18, right? And most of the elderly men who had survived the war would smile and say they really were after the excitement. They just wanted to get out of small-town America. Uh. Anyway, uh, what Ken Burns did to try to particularize this show was he took the experiences of guys from four towns, um mostly men, of course, um uh, there were a, f- a few women. Uh, let's see. He did Waterbury, Connecticut, Sacramento, California, Mobile, Alabama, and Laverne, Minnesota. You know, in Sacramento, we had the Japanese, and, uh, there's a big fuss about the fact that most Latinos were left out. They put a few special programs on before and after the series to fill in, uh, for the neglect of the Hispanics. Uh, actually, there was such a fuss. About that that pbX uh, made him add some stuff, yes uh, he sh- she says that it didn't improve the show at all, but he had to add twenty eight minutes to the film, says it doesn't uh, add much. The scenes show a Native American veteran to Hispanics, and they feel the scenes feel tacked on because they are. <laughs> Burns originally said that re-editing his film would be destructive, like trying to graft an arm onto your child. Anyway, I think um, I think it is good that the Hispanics had enough sense to to uh, kick up a fuss. And some of the other material on PBS, another show it runs afterwards, give you some uh, stories about Hispanics. I. Uh, I had expected more on black Americans. There's some stuff. I hope that he takes time to deal with the women. Uh, anyway, what he was after, of course, was a bottom-up look at the war, you know, from the particular to the general. That's the way you're supposed to get your universal truths, you know. He wanted to concentrate on the people who actually did the fighting and the people who actually waited at home. <laughs> I remember. I remember vividly my mother and her friends uh mostly they played that song Paper Doll, I want a paper doll that I can call my own, you know. Cuz there were so many breakups during the war and I remember on several occasions um women nurses most of them uh who came to stay with us um they were pregnant and obviously their uh lovers or or In one case, a husband had died in the war, and uh, they stayed with my mother. Um, Anyway, Nancy Franklin goes on to say that uh, Ken Burns was trying to get away from the top-down perspective, you know, the generals and the politicians and all that grandiose stuff, although I'm sure we'll have plenty of Winston Churchill and and, uh, uh, FDR... I was surprised at how much of the material was already familiar to me. And then I thought, now, now wait, Jennifer, you're 73. There's an awful lot of high school students out there who don't know this stuff. And I'm sure that uh, plenty of teachers will be able to, you know, um, uh, use this material for their history courses. I just remember my favorite history teacher gleefully hopping around the classroom on one foot <laughs> later when Truman fired MacArthur. He was so happy. Oh, he was so happy because uh he was anti-militaristic. That is, he he didn't like Douglas MacArthur. He thought that MacArthur was a megalomaniac. And he was so glad that the president had uh, stepped up and said uh, so long to this um this grandiose military man. I remember the guys that used to sing songs about MacArthur at my house in La Jolla. Uh, What was it they sang? Yes, they sang, We asked the army to come to Tulagi, but Douglas MacArthur said no. He gave as the reason. It wasn't the season. Besides, there was no USO, bless them all. Bless 'em all, yes—the long and the short and the tall. There'll be no promotion this side of the ocean. <laughs> so cheer up, my boys. Bless 'em all, right? I think uh, I think they knew what was going on. What was it? I remember the rationing. My mother would call my father at the San Diego hospital. This was before he went to the uh, South Pacific, and she would say, "Say, stop at the Piggly Wiggly and bring home some butter, dear. You know." Uh that meant he had to pick some up from the commissary, but uh uh mostly mostly I had fun sneaking around late at night, uh hiding from the shore patrol. They would walk the beaches and see that we'd pulled our shades down. It was supposed to be a, a dim out, you know, not a blackout, just a dim out. And my friend Timothy and I, we would go down and hide in the caves on the beach there at Whispering Sands, La Jolla. And we would wait for the Japanese submarines to surface. And then we would run and tell everybody, you know, what was happening. I remember finally writing stories about that when I was a grown-up. Uh, children live in their own special world, you know. Anyway, uh, Nancy Franklin goes on to tell us that Ken Burns tries to create portraits of these towns, you know. I would call it, um, you know, Our Town, USA. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure that they're all that homey. Uh, What the people gained during the war and what they lost. He's after this this lost innocence theme, you know. Uh, I don't think we were ever innocent, but... uh, What do I know? Uh, The Japanese Americans are particularly interesting. uh, And, of course, so many of the people that I knew rushed to take the jobs in defense plants. It meant that for the first time, uh, what I guess we call working class people had some serious money. And all of the people who used to work for someone, uh, household help, uh, people who had worked for my father in his hospital, they all got real jobs, you know? And we no longer had a servant class. They just kind of disappeared overnight. <laughs> that was a good idea. Oh, and the women got jobs, although I remember my mother who, uh, had uh, a degree in architecture. She went to one of the war plants in San Diego. She got a job in the design department, you know. And there she was, uh, working away, and uh, it lasted, I cannot remember how many months. Uh, It was just the beginning of a school year, but apparently we, the three children, acted out so badly that my father demanded she come home again, and she was forced to quit her job and go back to being just mom, you know. Before the war, the uh, uh, the mythos of that time demanded that only one member of the family have a job because it was the 1930s and the Depression. And if the uh, main breadwinner could support the family, it wasn't supposed to be fair for both both parents to have a job, you know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway... Uh, Nancy Franklin goes on to say that Ken Burns wastes too much time trying to establish the localness of his vision. Yes, I, I think she's, uh, she's right on that one. If I saw one more movie theater, it's true that we all met at the movies, that the World War II was, for me, uh, always took place in a movie house, but... Uh, you know, there's a limit to how many times you can show the four movie houses. Uh, uh, I think, yes, that uh, the senator, in a way, spot in the first episode that was the best. Uh, but that one was taken from Tom Brokaw's *The Greatest Generation*. Yes, there's a lot of derivative stuff. Uh, now, as I keep saying, I have seen most of this material. Uh, But a lot of people haven't. So I suppose, I suppose this, this thing is going to go into the can, you know, and I can see uh, generations of high school students being forced to sit through all this stuff. Uh, I wish, well, I hope someday for a movie about World War II as a world war. This is just about us. This is just about what happened to us. It's like all the movies about the Vietnam War, in which all we see is the the sufferings of Americans, the effect that it had on us. Whereas, of course, a movie about the uh, war in Vietnam would be about Vietnam. Uh, anyway, um, he says that, uh, uh, that Burns is trying to tell the complete story of the war and uh, can't be done, uh, She says that with the women, it's a little easier because there weren't very many of them. And she goes on to describe uh, some of the folks. Uh The connection to the Philippines was fascinating for me because I knew a number of Filipino people down in La Jolla. Uh, There's one woman in this story, an eight-year-old, that would be someone my contemporary... Who was in the Philippines. Uh, she came from Sacramento. From a wealthy family there. And somehow. She was living in the Philippines. And she spent the war in a prison camp. Anyway. There are a lot of stories that aren't atypical. You know. Those are the ones that I like best. Uh, there were some strange contradictions. The worst part of the first. Hour or two. Was the stuff about the Bataan Death March. Uh, grim. Grim stuff. Uh, man's inhumanity to man makes countless thousands mourn, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, let's see. Actually, uh, the soundtrack by Wynton Marsalis and the monotonous Voice of Doom narration by actor Keith David are also singled out by this reviewer for uh, <laughs> a thumbs down. And she writes that at 15 hours, the war is too much of a not good enough thing. The spark is missing. She says that you always find a spark even in the most unassuming documentary on the History Channel. And she goes on to describe many of these stories on the History Channel about uh, Guadalcanal, Guam, Iwo Jima, so forth. Uh, Now... The funny thing is that uh, sometimes, yes, yeah, sometimes you try too hard to get a universal. I I think, what is it, that the little stories, the micro stories aren't micro enough. Uh, I kept thinking, as I sat there watching it, it felt like being back in the theater, watching the newsreels in La Jolla in the 1940s. Same old, same old, you know, that uh, relentlessly... Uh, Upbeat. Time marches on, newsreel. I remember that. It's supposed to cheer us up, you know? <laughs> anyway, Ken Burns says that one of the motivations for his project was hearing in the late 90s that a thousand veterans of the Second World War were dying every day, and that gave him this sense of urgency, but it didn't give him any good ideas. Uh? <laughs> anyway. Actually, during the publicity juggernaut for the war, uh, Burns talked about focusing on ordinary people. (laughs) And then he added that he came to realize that in extraordinary times, there are no ordinary lives. Oh, gosh. Uh, Now, history should record that there is a $10 million marketing campaign for this show. And to me, you know, this is this is a recruiting poster. I don't care how many guys tell you how god-awful it was. Uh, this is the sort of thing that makes, I was going to say men, I was, I guess, I mean all of us. It makes us think that war is, if not noble, at least exciting, a great grand opera, you know, uh, it gives us a tragic sense of ourselves. And, uh... You know, I, I don't really think we should use the war to sell Budweiser. Uh, she writes here, she says, as I live and breathe, oranges and eggs branded with the station and the time of broadcast information were used, you know, to publicize this, this series. Yes, indeed. Uh huh. She says, that this kind of burbling fatuousness does not aid the cause of getting to the truths of war. And Ken Burns should know better, and he does know better. He knew better when he filmed the uh, material for the Civil War. Uh, She says that he is an uncannily gifted storyteller and synthesizer. Uh, At the same time, uh, he seems to have dropped the ball. I... I, I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe his reach has exceeded his grasp. Uh, she does mention a couple of the the men: a fighter pilot from Minneapolis and an army pilot from Laverne. They were very special. These two soft-spoken, thoughtful men anchor the series. Burns is very coy and never identifies them fully. Hines. Uh, is a distinguished emeritus professor of literature at Princeton and the author of a highly regarded memoir of the war. Well, so much for using uh, ordinary GIs. Uh, No wonder he was so articulate. Anyway, the other guy, Aninson, is uh, someone who made a documentary about his experiences in the Pacific. It was shown on PBS in the 1990s. He was a panelist on the Charlie Rose Show on the fifth anniversary of D-Day. An airport in Laverne is named for him. And, uh, Nancy Franklin says that together they are the Shelby Foot of the war. If you saw the series on the Civil War, you remember Shelby Foot was the one who made that one meaningful, gave it some, uh, what would you call it? An aura, some pizzazz, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I guess sometimes we have to bear with what I would call the mundane, the boring, uh the banal. Somebody was bound to do this sooner or later. I think it's just said that it had to be done right now at this time when we are stuck in this quagmire, uh the uh business of being mired down in the Middle East. Uh Anyway, uh we're up to our ears in the war i can recommend a movie uh with tommy lee jones it's also reviewed in this copy of the new yorker for september 24th it's, uh, uh it's called in the valley of elah e l a h if you want to see something that's um what would you call it uh The truth about war. Yes, the truth about war. There's no actor like Tommy Lee Jones. You remember, he was a roommate uh, of Al Gore's. (laughs) And, yes, they were together there. They were roommates at Harvard. Tommy Lee Jones in the Valley of Elah. That's the one I would recommend if you want something to look forward to. Check out that movie. And... Let me know what you thought of Ken Burns' series on World War II. Spent Jennifer Stone back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. I'm Aaron Glantz, here to tell you about a new website launched by KPFA, The War Comes Home, online at warcomeshome.org. Politicians in Washington always say they support the troops. Just ask John McCain. Of course we support the troops. Of course we support the troops. Of course we support the troops. Or George Bush. Support the troops. Or Nancy Pelosi. Our troops have performed excellently in Iraq. I spent parts of three years in Iraq and have been collecting stories of our servicemen and women since my return. Now, for the first time, those stories are together in one place, along with photos and links to peace groups and organizations that provide help to American veterans. That's www.warcomeshome.org. I'm Aaron Glantz. And this is still 94.1 KPFA, KPFA in Berkeley, and KFC up in Fresno up next.